How you doing? You look good. There's some younger faces around here. Any college, if you're in college, just raise your hand. I'm just curious. Okay. In case you didn't know, be at class on Wednesday. All right? School starts on Wednesday. Now, you can be like some of my friends who they said, well, the first, you know, class is just the syllabus or the syllabi. It doesn't matter. I'm not encouraging that. I might have done that. I'm not encouraging that as your pastor. But glad to see college students back. All of our long-term locals, moms, dads, young professionals, young marrieds, good to be here with you as well. Uh, Let's do this. Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. That bell is telling you to open your Bible. It might ring again. Just get used to it. Sound effects. Revelation 5. We're going to pick up there. We're in our last talk in the series we did this summer in this book. And here's how I want to go about it. I want to first read Revelation 5. We're going to read it in its entirety. And then secondly, I want to set it up. I need to do some work to set it up for you. And then thirdly, we're going to get into it and really going to break it down. Okay? So go to Revelation 5 and let's read that together. We'll do the whole thing. If you didn't bring a Bible, no problem. There's a Bible app, plus we'll have it on the screen. Try and visualize this. The best way to read the, the, the scriptures is to read it like a movie, a true life movie. Verse 5, this is John the Apostle writing, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. It was silent. Verse 4, And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the the, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And now they're about to start singing. They sing three different worship songs. Take a look. Verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then John writes, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, song number two, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature, get that. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, all of the universe, friends, and all that is in them sang, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor 
and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Quite a scene. Quite a movie. Quite a reality. Two weeks ago, I called us to pray. I called us to pray because we got some awesome changes happening here at the church. We're starting a new school year, but not only that, we're bringing back the college night service, which if you're an old veteran here, was just such an awesome service right here on campus to reach as many students as possible. We're bringing that back in just a week. And then a few weeks from then, we're starting a new morning service for our adults and families and any college students that would rather go to church in the morning. That's going to happen at North Oconee High School. All of our ministries are starting. There are some big changes coming. And so two weeks ago, I said, well, as the pastor, what should I tell people to do? Praying sounds like a good answer. Pray. That was two weeks ago. All right. Colossians 3 is where we were. Last week I said, not only do we need to pray, but I called us to be a three-dimensional church. A church that knows how to go up, in, and out in our Christian life and in our community. And today I want to build on that in Revelation 5. And I want to call us to something different. A lot of changes are coming. Good changes. And here's the deal. I believe that we need to discuss three things. Three things that we must get before we get going. You see that? We're about to get going. There are three things that we need to get. Think about freshmen. You just just left home, right? And you're heading out. Or or for me, (laughs) I'm about to coach uh, my daughter's uh, soccer team. Okay, this is the first time I've been a head coach for soccer. And I practice start on Thursday. And I said, I called my brother who's coached before. And I said, what are some things you, you tell Henry when he gets ready to play? He said, I always tell him three things. Three things he needs to get before he gets going. Have fun, try your best, and listen to your coach, okay? That's important. Kid needs to know that before they get started. If you were a freshman and you left home, your parents might have said three things. Make sure you go to class. Don't get arrested. I don't know. This could get really, I could keep going, you know. We could go, I don't know, what kind of kid are you, right? You know, do you listen to your parents? I'll leave it there, all right? Go to church. Listen to Pastor John. All right, all right. Three things. There's three things that we have to get as a community before we get going. Okay, and we're going to address them today in Revelation 5. Here they are. They'll be on the screen. I think we need to get an understanding of our message, our mission, and our moment. Our message. We understand what that is. Our mission here in the community. And we understand that this is our moment. And I want to show you why this matters. Why it matters that you should listen to me this morning. Why it matters that That we know how to share our message, live our mission, and seize our moment. And here's how I want to do that. I learned a few years ago, if you really want to get to know a town, and you really want to know what happens under the surface, what happens around us, some of the darkness that happens around us, some of the evil that happens around us, in the neighborhoods around us, in downtown, on campus, it's easy for us to see all the fun things, especially right now. You know, I mean, school's about to start back. Everyone just seems like they're happy. And, you know, all these beautiful young people are coming back into town. And Athens is like a happening place. There's, there's a lot of good on the surface to see. And too often we're not aware or exposed to the real 
ugly stuff. Some of the evil and the darkness that happen in our community. And so what I learned a few years ago, if you really want to understand what goes on, you talk to a police officer. Because police officers are in the thick of it. They have to help to protect and serve and see all of that stuff head on. And so I've become friends with our police officer here, Derek Scott, who protects us and looks after us on Sundays and has been a part of the athens Clark County Police Department. And so I'm going to ask him to share with us about that. I want us to understand what really happens around us. So can you give a warm Grace Athens welcome to Officer Derek Scott. All right. This mic can work. Perfect. Thanks, man. Thanks for doing this. Um, you want to say hey? Hello. There you go. <laughs> Derek's awesome. Um, Derek, let's start. Let's start simple. How long have you been a police officer? October 13th of this year will be 24 years. Wow. Good. And, yeah. What kind of skin cream do you yeah, use, right? man? You don't look that old. Usually when I say that, they're like, when do you start when you're five years old? But, Gosh, no. you're doing something right. That's I'll awesome. be 49 in October as well. Okay, that's awesome. How many kids do you have? So a little trick question. I've got four. I've got a Jackson's 15, Clayton's 14. Um, I'm sorry, he's 13. Anderson's 12. I've got a two-year-old Rowan, and then I've got a little girl, Killian, will be here in October. Come on. All right. Busy yep. man. Yep. Protecting his family, protecting the community. Love it. All right, so we talked on the phone a little bit. Um, let's, let's start with just this general question, and then, again, I just want us to kind of clue in on what happens around here. When, you, when I say that, hey, one of the greatest ways to become aware of some of the darkness and the evil and the things that happen around us is to talk to a police officer who's in the middle of it. What's maybe one of the first things that comes to mind? we asked that question. So it was interesting when we were talking yesterday, my wife and I were actually heading to Monroe. Um, they were doing a dino day, so we were taking our two-year-old over there to see some dinosaurs. And <clears throat> I had you on speakerphone, she started laughing because my wife is an administrator over Child Protective Services, so we kind of see a lot of evil in the world. Um, and she said, you like to ramble, this will probably be like a two-hour conversation. Um, but when I, and it depends on, you know, going back to 24 years of service, different times in my life, there's been different times of um, evil that I see. Um, right now, what astonished me and what we were talking about last week was the, uh, the opiates and the, the overdoses. And I was telling one of our deputy chiefs, um, I've lost count over the last few months how many times my officers have had to use Narcan to bring back folks that have overdosed on, on drugs. And so I think right now that was one of the things that was telling to me. And, and it's interesting because yeah, there's this thing about the war on drugs, but as police officers, our response to that, you know, we're saving lives, and it's not really a police matter at that point. It's more of a first responder, but it's a constant thing that our guys are um, all trained with Narcan, and they're, like I said, just over the last couple months, I've lost count of how many times we've had to use it. Yeah. What else comes to mind? I know you, you mentioned um, some domestic abuse, child abuse things to me that happened that uh, probably a lot of us aren't aware of. What are, let's just kind of sure. start listing off some things so we have a clear picture. Sure. Kind of give you guys a background on my, my career. Everybody starts as a patrolman. So I did that for four years. I transitioned, I was a bike cop downtown for four years, and then I um, transferred to criminal investigations. I worked, our, we call the Family Protection Center, um, Special Victims Unit is what most people see. We work domestic violence, crimes against children, all sex crimes, and missing persons. I did that for a couple years, um, got promoted to sergeant, went back downtown for four, got promoted to lieutenant, did several tours on midnights, day shift as a watch commander, 
And then I had the um, awesome responsibility to go back to the Family Protection Center as the commander for a few years. Um, then I was promoted to captain, now I'm back over patrol. But my time in the Special Victims Unit was very eye-opening to see um, the kind of the silent crime of domestic violence. I mean, you see it um, kind of on movies and on TV and stuff, but you don't realize that it can affect all walks of life. Um, child abuse cases, my wife and I, that's kind of how we met when she was um, a case manager. And I had a case that I was working as a lieutenant. Normally we don't work cases, um, but this particular case came over the weekend. She was on call, she took it. I knew a little bit about it. We were so overwhelmed at work. I told my guys, I'll just work this case. And it came in as just a, a four-month-old with a broken humerus bone. And uh, we took the child to CHOA, had them examine it, and then it was kind of, you know, and then being a father, um, probably looking back 20 years ago, probably wouldn't have affected me as much. But we go in and, and um, CHOA does their thing. They do a full body scan. And from the one fracture that we found in the arm, um, they found nine additional fractures of this child in all the, they call the bucket um, breaks both wrists, um, both ankles, a rib. Um, so looking at it, taking that as an investigation, we thought it was one incident. God bless the doctors, they could go back, give us a timeline. We learned early that it was a, um, it was a case where something happened within a few weeks of this baby being born. Um, and then based on the investigation that we had and the investigation from the doctors, um, you hear about shaking baby, and that's what the, the rib break was holding the baby and shaking it, and the, the whiplash of the hands and the legs cracked the bones. Um, I ended up arresting the mother. She had two other um, girls. All of them were placed into foster care. Um, that's just one example, and then you look at domestic violence. I've got a court case next month about, um, it was two college students. One was a female going to school here. Her boyfriend was, came in from out of town. They were drinking. He got jealous. They ended up back at a friend's house. Um, it was probably one of the um, more grotesque uh, strangulation cases I've worked. Um, so it's just, it, you know, it, what gets me is like it doesn't matter where you come from or what, where you're at. And, and I didn't, you know, we were talking about this, you know, don't want to sit there and be like Debbie Downer about everything, but these things happen. And, um, and my background, I grew up in Dunwoody, Georgia, middle class, no idea that I was going to get into law enforcement. All my friends, dads, my dad, they were all in the business sector, corporate America. Um, I was going to Georgia Tech as a management major for two years. Decided we'll forgive him. Go ahead. Yep. So I transferred up here, flipping through. We didn't, um, dating myself, there wasn't an online catalog to look at. We looked at these big books, and I saw criminal justice, and I said, you know, that's pretty interesting. I'll do that, uh, maybe go to law school, or maybe go to a federal agency. A friend of mine that I grew up with that I hadn't seen in probably a decade, I ran into her up here, and she was already working for the police department, so I started doing ride-alongs with her. So I kind of felt like I was in a bubble, and that's kind of how I relate. I was in school, I knew three things about Athens. I knew campus, downtown, and back then the mall was actually worth going to. So we, we knew the mall. And, um, but then once I started doing ride-alongs and I realized, wow, like you can just go a couple blocks this way and a couple blocks that way, and it can get pretty dark pretty quick, um, the evil that's out there. And then as seeing the transition of this community over the last 20 plus years, the uh, kind of the, the build out of where it was kind of isolated. We're the smallest county in the state, if you guys didn't know that geographically. So real estate's prime. So when the student population started growing up, people, realtors started going and buying homes from low-income areas and building places, and you've probably seen it. Well, that gives us a different you know, burden as law enforcement is protecting um, different areas. So this time of year, we were just talking about last week, how do we get the word out about um, armed robberies and, 
if you guys stay aware and watch this, you know, every year this time of year, as students go downtown and they start walking different areas, you start seeing an increase of, of armed robberies. And then that's another dilemma where a lot of the victims will be underage, so they don't want to report it or, you know, um, and it, that goes along the lines of many different crimes. So yeah. it's, it's a lot, and I could go on for hours, and, and, um, but it is, there's, it's, it's tough. And then for me, keeping that moral compass that doesn't see like everything's bad. Um, you know, we were talking about me serving the church and the serve, um, and that's a whole nother story I can get on and how I got involved here. Um, and I'd love to share that at some point. It's a long story, but um, it, it was definitely God telling me, hey, this is where you need to be. And the church has served me more in the last few years than, than you guys will even know. Um, but it's just, it's about knowing that there is the evil out there and, it, and, and to kind of just appreciate the goodness that you have and to see. Um, so, it, it, you know, like I said, I could go on for hours about this, but those are just some of the examples. Um, yeah. The violence, the gang violence. I remember for, for a long time, our former chief denied that we even had a gang problem. And um, I was part of this long investigation that resulted in the arrest of a huge gangster disciple group out of Atlanta that had murdered two of our um, guys up here, um, two local gang members. And um, so it's out there. Um, and uh, But, you know, it's one thing to see it on the news, but it's another thing to kind of live in your bubble and not really know what's what's really going on out there. And there's the national stuff that you see, but um, what I've learned that it is, it could be literally next door to you. Yeah. Yes. Man, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for yeah. the education. I, th I think I think we need to hear those things. I think the rest of what we want to get into in the scriptures are going to talk about, okay, if that's true, then what's our role as a church? So thanks right. for educating us, and thanks for protecting and serving this community and our sure. church. Can we thank Derek Scott again? Hmm. It's never easy to hear some of those things, and I have such respect for police officers and nurses that are just always in those places of crisis. What I want to talk about today is our message, our mission, and our moment. You see, what ultimately happens if we fail to live the message and the mission, our moment this year, is honestly, guys, just straight up, the darkness wins. The darkness in this community wins. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, the church is the light of the world. So Jesus' ultimate answer, yes, through police officers and nonprofits and all of those different things, the kingdom of God uses those. But Jesus' plan A to take away and battle back the darkness is the light. And he says we get to be that light. Here's my hope. When we start that night service for college students right here on campus where some of that darkness happens, I want the darkness to tremble. I want them to be upset that we're setting up shop right here. And we're going to reach those students who are going through mental illness. We're going to reach those students who've gone through domestic abuse. We're going to reach those students who don't yet know Jesus and know what it means to live righteously. When we start the morning service again, but in a different place at North Oconee High School, right in a high school, how many of you know that things happen in high school? All right, Do I need to give my story now? I mean, there's, there's some darkness. There's some distraction. High school is a pivotal time for someone to hear the gospel and come in, into the kingdom. 
When we go to North Oconee High School, I want the darkness to tremble. I want them to be worried. We're about to do some awesome things and bring some light and save some lives. And so, I want us to figure out these three things. Let's go back to Revelation 5. What you're going to find there in an outline, we'll bring that to the screen as, as we read it. Those first eight verses are the opening scene. And then right there in verse 9, we're going to find our message. And 10, we're going to find our mission. And then the remaining of the passage, as you see on the screen, we're going to find our moment. So let's go back and read verse 9 of chapter 5. And I want to first talk about our message. What's our message? You have to know what that is. Verse 9, they sang a new song saying, this is to Jesus, this is to the Christ, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Look at that closely. It says you were slain. What is that talking about? It's talking about the cross. So we know in the Gospels, Jesus was, he gave over himself, he sacrificed himself at the cross. For what purpose? Well, it was by his blood at the cross, right there in verse 9, that he ransomed people. What does that mean? That's ancient language that means he freed people out of slavery. Ransomed is to liberate, to liberate people. It's to come and to pay the price to the master to get that person out of slavery. So back in this area, in the south of the United States in the 1800s and before that, slavery was legal. How did you get someone out of that slavery? A redeemer had to come and redeem that slave by paying a high price to get them out of slavery. The master wasn't just going to give them up for free. This is what's happening at the cross. By his blood, back to verse 9, you ransomed, you liberated, you purchased at a high cost, your own life, people for God from who? Who is it? Is it just one ethnicity or one nationality? No, it's every tribe, language, people, and nation. So, what is verse 9 sharing with us? That's just the gospel. You see it? I mean, verse 9 is the gospel. It's the good news of how Jesus saved us. So let me say this. What is our message at Grace Athens? The gospel. That's our message. And if we don't know that message, y'all, honestly, we should just shut up. The church is loud, right? I mean, the church definitely still has a megaphone, even though this is a post-Christian culture. And the church can say some really dumb things. And they can make some things a really, really big deal, a bigger deal than the gospel. They can make other things, smaller messages, the message. Uh Uh-uh, don't do that. What is our ultimate message? Verse 9, the gospel. Let's not get it turned around. And I would say this, there's no message anyone in Athens needs to hear more than how to be saved. There is nothing as pressing, as important, as life-changing, as good, as desperately needed than this one message. Not how awesome they are. That's important. I'm all for good self-esteem. That's important. It's not the ultimate message. Not how wicked they can be. That's important. I need to know that I'm sinful. Some of us still maybe you're not old enough. You know, I I remember when I was young, I used to think like, man, 
are we really that sinful? Like, is that preacher really being accurate of like what's in my nature? Man, I just got married and I figured it out. Man, I'm selfish. <laughs> then I had kids. I'm like extra double selfish. I'm sinful. I'm sinful. But that's not the ultimate message. It's not how to make money. It's not who to vote for. The ultimate message people need to hear is how to be saved. Now, I know that word is a bit antiquated, saved. When I say saved, you might hear a thick southern accent, you know, saved, right? But it's a biblical word. Jesus used it, so I'm going to use it. And it's really important. You see, the Bible believes that all human beings need to be saved from slavery, a certain kind of slavery. Now, I don't have all the time in the world to go through all these verses, but I'm going to go through, through a few. Look at what the Bible says about this kind of slavery. John 8, it should be on the screen. They answered him. They say, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? That's like us saying, preacher, you say I'm in slavery, but I'm not in slavery. They're saying, we're not in slavery. We're children of Abraham. Jesus answers this. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You might not have known that you were born into slavery. You ever seen The Matrix? I know for some of y'all that's a little bit of an older movie. But it's similar to that. We're born into sin. Romans 6. Well, that's a longer verse. I'm going to keep moving. Titus 3. Let's go to that one. For we also... Hey, but look that up. Study it this week, okay? I just went a little long earlier. Titus 3. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts. It's talking about before coming into the kingdom. And pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy and hateful, hating one another. Do you see any hate going on in our society? What's the ultimate source of that? Is it politics? No, that's a symptom. It's sin. We're born into that propensity, that slavery. We can't break free of not doing that. We change the subject, politics, race, whatever. But our propensity, our nature is still to find someone to hate. You might say, oh, I'm not a hateful person. I'm just not. There's someone you hate. Goes on. More and more it talks about this. You see, the, the Bible says all humans are slaves of three things ultimately. Sin. We just live these destructive, selfish lives, and we can't break free of that. And as you get older, you're going to see it more and more. Secondly, we're slaves to death, that when you die, you die. You go in the grave, and you can't pull yourself back up. You're a slave to that grave. And number three, to the devil, to the dark influences that influence us and world powers and different things that are happening in our world. So the Bible says that, and I want to believe it because the Bible says it for like a thousand reasons. I can tell you why I believe the Bible is true and the word of God. But here's a, just a simple one. How about the evidence? A great way to see if you think the Bible is true is what's the evidence? And, 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 and let me just say this. Here's the evidence to me. Do we not agree when we look at our dark world, some of it you heard, that we see a humanity enslaved to a level of darkness and destruction? Do we not see that? Did COVID not break that open? Did the racial issues not break that open? Did all what's happening geopolitically not break it open to show us and expose to us? Y'all, there's a lot more going on here than we realize. There's a bigger deal than me just making money and providing for my kids. There's a bigger deal than me getting to my first class on Wednesday. There's some wickedness happening. 
And the Bible is accurate and says it's sin. And everyone is enslaved to it unless they believe in Christ and let him set you free. Back in the South, people were enslaved, and that still happens around the world. And here's how it would work. Just like the cross, someone would come, the Redeemer, and try and buy a family out of slavery. And so can you just imagine, this is just a story, this is more like a parable than an accurate account. But just imagine this, go here with me. Can you imagine a family that all they've known for generations is slavery? And then one day, a gentleman came, and for whatever reason, he had enough money where he went to that owner of those slaves and said, I want to buy them, I want to redeem them out of slavery. And he paid a high price to redeem that family. And that family now is out of slavery. How much do you think they would love that man, that redeemer? How much do you think they would just about do everything but worship that person? And here's what I know. As the generations went on, they would always tell the story of that Redeemer. They'd be sitting around Thanksgiving, and Grandma and Grandpa would talk about their ancestors who once were in chains and were enslaved, but there was this man, and they would bring out a portrait, a painting of this man, and they would almost have like a shrine to this man. They would almost worship this man and their family and say, this gentleman set us free. He redeemed us. He purchased us out of slavery. We have that man, not just for one family, but for the entire world. And his name is Jesus the Christ, the ultimate redeemer. This is our message. This is our message. That's true, then, okay, John, what's our mission? What's our mission? I'm going to give you one sentence, real simple. Easy day in class today. Our mission is to take that message out. To take that message out. It is to take that message out by reintroducing Jesus to all people. Reintroducing. I'm not asking you to be a theologian or myself who can get into all the particulars of what it means that Jesus set us free. No, you got to work to that. That might take years to get to that conversation. But all of us can reintroduce Jesus to people by how we live and by how we talk. And yes, eventually and in time, sharing Jesus with people. Look at verse 10. This is where you're going to find our mission. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Right there it says you've made believers, those who believe in Jesus, a kingdom. I want to talk about that. I want to meditate on that. A kingdom. Here's what I know about a kingdom. Every kingdom has a mission. How many of you seen How to Train Your Dragon? I got kids, y'all. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. That's a good, clean movie. How to Train Your Dragon. That was a kingdom, right? It was a kingdom of Vikings. Every kingdom I know in world history has a mission. And that mission is this, to expand, to take over more territory, to conquer, to increase. That is what the kingdom of nations have been doing since the beginning of time. Every kingdom has a mission, and the kingdom of God is no different. The kingdom of God has the exact same mission. It is this, to take over the world. That is the mission of God's kingdom, to take over the world. To do what? For its own self-gratification? No. 
The kingdom of God is different. It doesn't increase by military power. It increases by love and service. Here's what the kingdom of God wants to do in a total takeover. They want to free people from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God. They want to save people from the kingdom of hell into the kingdom of heaven. They want to liberate people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Paul says it this way in Acts 26. He's recounting what Jesus told him about his mission. And he puts it in these terms. Delivering you, this is what Jesus said to him, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Here's his mission. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Go to the next one. Colossians 1 says it this way. He has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The kingdom of God wants a total world takeover that looks like that. And so do we have a mission, Grace Athens? Oh, yeah. We got a big mission, an awesome mission, a meaningful mission, a fun mission, a worthy mission. Now, I'm going to pause here and I'm going to get honest with you. As your friend, as your pastor, we have a mission. And that mission is not your happiness or your comfort. Okay? I'm talking like a dad right now. My mission is not your happiness and your comfort. I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to mobilize your life into a greater mission than yourself. I'm here to do it with you, but to mobilize us into the mission of God, bigger than my own little pet mission and purpose. What does verse 10 say? It says we're a kingdom, not a spiritual country club. Okay? Let me be completely clear with you. Our mission here at Grace Athens is to take over this city. Pastor, that sounds kind of arrogant. Is that really what it is? Are you talking about just Grace Athens? Are you talking about all churches? What are you talking about? I'm definitely talking about all churches. But I want to be clear. Our mission is that Christ would take over Athens, Oconee, and UGA. That Christ would win more and more people to his kingdom by believing in his gospel. That hell this school year would be plundered and that heaven would be populated. That's what I want. I want the freshman who doesn't yet know Jesus and is on his own and hasn't experienced the forgiveness of God and the love of God. I want them to come out of that darkness and that isolation into the love of the Father. Get out of that personal hell and come into the heaven of his presence. That's what I want. That's what you want. That's what you want. That's what we all want. That's our mission. That's our mission. Matthew 16 says it a great way. I don't have time. I'll just say this. By the end of the school year in May 2022, just kind of go there in your mind. My hope is that there will be people, real people, real names, real stories that there be more of them worshiping Christ 10 months from now than right at this point when we got started this school year. That's our mission. How will Christ do that? How do we do that this school year? Answer, by living our mission. Reintroducing Jesus to all people for the renewal of all 
things. All of us can do this by His grace. All of us can reintroduce Jesus to people. Okay? Who reintroduced Jesus to you? Was it your grandma? Was it a friend? Was it a youth pastor? Was it a parent? Was it a stranger? Someone in your journey, even if you were five or 50, reintroduced Jesus to you. I had a lot of misconceptions about Christianity. Someone reintroduced Jesus to me, and they really didn't even like share the gospel all that well. They kind of got it wrong in some ways. <laughs> but God used it. In fact, let me tell you who that is. This is a picture of my friend Devin. If you've been here a while, he's a runner. Look at him. He's in great shape, man. He, he, he surpassed me for sure. We played football together at Parkview, and he reintroduced Jesus to me. And here's how he did it. He just was a good friend of mine. He would invite me to church with him. He would invite me to FCA. He told me he was praying for me. I'd never heard that in my life, that someone would, like, he just directly said, you know, I pray for you. And I was like a big, tough guy. I mean, I'm a football player, man, you know. And, I mean, I was getting choked up that he said that, that he did that. He was reintroducing Jesus to me by his actions and by his words. And so here's what happened. He would always invite me to FCA, and I'd tell him, no, no, heck no, expletive, expletive. Like, no, I didn't know Jesus yet. And then one day, the girl I was dating invited me to FCA, and the Spirit of God fell. I mean, <laughs> I know Devin had been plowing that soil, but God used her. And so I went, and I heard the gospel, and some, most of you know that story. God got a hold of my life. God used Devin and Morgan and all these people to reintroduce Jesus to me. It's simple. We all can live that mission. Mm. Okay. Let's fast forward. Let's end. I'm going to have to skip a few things. Let's talk about our moment. We got to get this before we get going. If we don't know what it is, we won't seize it. Here's what I want to say. It's our moment in two senses. The first is this. It's our moment because of the moment happening right now in the world. There's a global crisis and people are hurting and people are searching. And here's what I believe to be true. I believe the church was built for a moment like this. I'm going to say that again. If you hear anything today, highlight this. I believe the church was built for a moment of crisis like this. The second part of this being our moment is found right here in the text. They're having a moment, and they're having a moment of worship. They're singing these songs. Let's look back at it. Verse 11. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures, elders, voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, they're singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. And I heard every single creature. It goes on. Saying this, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing, honor, and glory and might forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and did what? They worshipped. It's a moment of worship. Here's where I want to end. Our moment is now in the midst of global crisis. And our moment is to reach the hurting world. We want to reach them for what purpose? So that they would join us in Revelation 5 and worship God with us. That's the goal. This is a moment. This is a moment. Our goal this school year 
is that at the end of it, more human beings, more people with real lives, real names, real stories would be worshiping God like Revelation 5 than they were before. This is our moment. This is our moment. That's our goal. The goal of our mission and our message is more people worshiping God. That's it. More people experiencing the love of God and singing about it. More people in God's kingdom. This is our moment. The church was built for a moment like this. It is built for when everything in society is cracking and crumbling for the people of God. Get this, get this, for the people of God not to be running around worrying, but worshiping. It's our moment. It's our moment to show where our peace and our foundation really lie. It's our moment to really show that our faith actually means something in real life. This is our moment. Not to be worried like the rest of society who doesn't have the peace of God. But to be worshiping. I mean, this is like a moment. They're caught up. And they're worshiping the living God and the Christ, their Redeemer. And they're singing all these new songs and falling down in worship. It's our moment not to be worrying, but to be worshiping. I want to invite the band back up. Bring this to a close. What is it going to take for each of us to take ownership and live these three things? What's it going to take? I'll give you the answer. Each other. Each other. I'm a terrible, lazy, self-centered Christian if I'm not doing it in a community. I got... Three families I've been in a group with this past, uh, this past year. The Gibbs, the Waterworths, the Batemans. I would be a lousy follower of Jesus. I wouldn't, I wouldn't share the message. I wouldn't live the mission. I need them to help me, to spur me on. How do you do it this year? Each other. Each other. I want to give you two practical steps. It's what Emily said. Yeah, go, y'all can work around me. Go ahead. Don't, I'm, you ain't going to mess me up. It's what Emily said. Volunteer. Get involved here. Get involved in this corporate mission. We need each other. Come on, let's go. Number two, when, when, when we start launching these things in September, join a grace group, or if you're in college, join a house church. We got to do it together, or we ain't going to share the message, live the mission, or seize the moment. But I know we want to. I know I'm preaching to the choir. Let's do it, man. I want a great year. I want that baptismal around Easter and whenever else we have baptisms. Man, I don't want to have to go. I'm, I'm being real honest. I don't have to go around, you know, oh, man, it's going to look bad if we don't have five people. It's going to look real bad. Pastor Benton, we got to get more people in that baptismal. No. There's been years we've had 40 people lined up to get in that thing because we lived that mission and got that message out. I want that kind of year, and you want it too. So do this. If you're with me, let's stand up. Let's stand up and worship. I want to invite our prayer team down. They'll be down here. They're here to pray with you. Anything that's going on, you let them know. And they're here just to support you and pray with you right there in the moment. When you came in, you should have received some communion elements. If you don't have that, we might come around and just kind of slip up your hand and we'll get you one. Um, But we want to end by taking 
the body and blood of Christ and proclaiming his death till he comes again. So go ahead and get those communion elements out. Lord, we pray by your spirit you would come upon these elements. You would make them true spiritual food and true spiritual drink. Lord, we are expectant. We are eager. We are excited. We're ready to go. If we've come in out of the summer a bit malnourished, we haven't walked with you like we wanted to. Lord, right now, by faith, we believe by taking this, you're going to nourish us, and it's going to be a different week. It's going to be a different school year. We ask that you would do that for us, and Lord, we do proclaim you as our redeemer. And we're happy to be in your kingdom. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and take the body and blood as we worship with one song together now. Come down, receive prayer. Feel free if you can with the person next to you. Pray together. Couples, pray together. Pray together in this this time. Friends, pray together. Let's take this moment. Let's sing like Revelation 5. Let's receive prayer. Let's bless each other. Let's be active. All in Jesus' name.